late night, <laughs> late night session where we get to, uh, I guess, bring out our evening, evening DJ voices or something. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we should be putting on some smooth jazz or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or have the cigars or. Yeah. On the pot, the other podcast that I do, I am the one that I constantly have to either edit or like bleep out. And I'm like, you know, the church kid. Um, <laughs> I've I've gotten a little bad. I'm I'm trying to readjust. Like I've I've also like been looking into you know what what profane language is like what scripture speaks against is profane language, and a lot of the times it does seem to be more about you know gossiping effectively uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know this like what we would call profane language in our common parlance today is actually just the language that the lower class used. Um, right. Yeah. We, I mean, we, we put the focus on the specific words and the specific usages and I mean, they, they're contextualized, like, sure. right, wait, but it's, uh, it's very much just like I'm expressing feelings um, or I'm right. calling your name versus um, yeah. Like something like gossip could be done very reverently, very politely, very friendly, uh, but it's so much more damaging. So yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a really good point. Yeah, I, I remember when I was first. Um, this was like predating blogging back when it was more like like the teen open diary uh, realm. Yeah, but, uh, I remember doing a rant once on like, what 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 do we mean by strong language? And you know, because it's usually talking about the the bad words. But I was thinking maybe strong language has more to do with like not saying stuff or yeah, saying really quality things. Maybe. Yeah, I mean. It also, and it gets brought up, I think in chapter five, um, where I had a couple of friends of mine go through school and they, I think one of them was writing on Dante's Inferno or something, like something that was very clearly the context of hell. And he used the word hell and he got sent to the principal's office, <laughs> not in like any sort of curse word sort of way. But just like we're reading like, a classic book about hell. And so we have to kind of talk about it. Yeah. Right. What, else, what, what did you want me to call it? He went down to heck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. So for anybody who does that in all genuineness, I love you very much. <laughs> please don't change. <laughs> no, no, please don't. Like there yeah. is, it's, it's less about like what words you use and more just, you know, have the attitude that you have towards others. Welcome to the Word and Journey podcast, conversations with friends about stories that shape us and make us think, and some stories that are just for fun. We're busy people reading books in realistic increments. Follow along in the book and join in the conversation, or just sit back and enjoy. Our aim is to unpack the story and offer you things to ponder. Either way, thanks for being here. So for serious starting, uh, welcome to the Word and Journey podcast. We are uh, hanging out late at night instead of early morning, so you will get a whole different sort of crazy with us this evening. Um, but here we are talking about uh, stories and what did we talk about? There was something else in the tagline. Um, yes, stories, characters that make us think and challenge us and shape our lives. Something like that. I should I should know my own show. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll figure it out. But anyway, here we are for our third conversation on The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis and chapters five and six. So um, <clears throat> uh, you, you can definitely 
tell it's a C.S. Lewis book when there's like lions in one chapter and huge waterfalls in the other. <laughs> of like, is this the last battle? Yeah, Almost. I was wondering the exact same thing. Like the a lot of the imagery is pulled. Actually, I don't know which book came first, but a lot of the imagery is very similar. Yes. So I guess he, he has got a theme and it, and it kind of works for him. Yeah. Lions, water. Uh, what is it? I think Paralandra was also like a mostly water planet or a very, very tropical planet either too. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's been a while since I've read that one. Well, you know, C.S. Lewis being British, they always want to travel and vac- holiday at some sort of tropical island. So, Right. Yeah, I, I suppose they would. Uh, well, I mean, goodness, I, I would love to go holiday at a tropical island as well. But, sure. Um, <laughs> anyway um okay so there's a whole lot of interesting interesting stuff in these ones um what jumps out to you from chapter five it is i think the conversation our narrator is listening to a conversation between um the fat episcopal ghost <laughs> and uh one of the bright people whose name is or was dick so yep. they're talking um yes yeah that took me a while to like figure out the conversation i don't know because i'm reading this on an e-reader and i don't know how it is in the actual print but um the way that lewis does his punctuation with like especially like conversation and quotes uh it's it's difficult to follow because normally like we were always taught to um like one one person speaks and you put like there has to be a new line in Lewis's writing it's uh not that way and so it took me a little while to actually get a hold of it um but i think one of the biggest things that struck me i mean the this fat episcopal ghost who i don't think we ever actually get his name just that description um is very what we would call intellectual, like very high minded. And I think even Lewis said that he, he has a cultured accent. So very posh maybe. And he's, he's kind of talking in circles, I guess, around what this ghost or what the, the bright spirit says. So the bright spirit Dick uh, is a resident of this place. And uh, at first when they meet, they immediately start in some sort of discourse. And it seems like they had, um, kind of been doing that from like their own, like from when they were living. And um, the, the ghost asks like, where, or excuse me, the bright spirit asks, where do you think you've been? And the fat ghost says, "Um, what are you talking about? And the uh, Dick, the bright person says like, we call that place gray town hell. Uh, and like I was talking before, it was just like that whole, like, there's no need to be obscene. Yeah. I guess this is the point in the book where it's like, it made explicitly clear that that's where the bus has come from. And I mean, we've been implying it all this time, but now, now, now we know. Um, but listening to the, the ghost, uh, you, you, you would wonder, is is it really hell? Is it literal hell? Is it a real place? Is it a Mm -hmm. metaphysical place? Uh, you know, what, what does hell really mean? Um, he's totally like, right. He, I, I get that so clearly he's, he's talking in circles and just, right. you know, he, he's like one of those, like, what, what is the meaning of is sort of yeah <laughs> people? What is existence? Do we really exist? That sort of very much thing. Yeah. Um, which 
I don't know. That just brought up a, a whole lot for me watching him go go through this rigmarole as he's as as the bright spirit who. I mean, I guess they. I, I gather. I gather they were friends or colleagues in the university setting uh, at one point, and uh, writing a lot together in a lot of dialogue and a lot of agreement, and just like you know, kind of kings of the philosophy realm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it seems like for, for 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 Dick the Bright Spirit to have progressed beyond that, um, part of what that means is is like a, a shedding of the flowery language, and he's just. He's very, he's very clear, very direct. He's not ever like abrasive or even really like challenging, really. But he's just very like, here's what it is. You were in hell. We're right. in heaven. Uh, you know, it was real. It, you know, specifically, you know, Christ was real. And what you might think would be, it almost seems like a scenario where, you know, like Dick's asking what might just be like a kind of a clear yes or no question, but like the the ghost just won't go for it. He's just, um, nope, I've got to like intellectualize and philosophize and put in more and more, more fancy language and can't ever settle on a, on a clear answer. Yeah, there's definitely that idea of um, relativism, I guess, that's coming out. Like I not wanting to settle on any one clear answer and uh, that the, the the character at the fat ghost seems to be very avoidant. Um, even, even up towards their end, the end of their conversation where it's just almost a very sudden, like I have to go. Cause there's, I've got this thing next Saturday that, uh, yeah, that I want to talk with some people that I guess they have a newspaper in the, in the gray world. And he really wanted to go read his newspaper on Saturday. Yeah. Which I, I mean, yeah, jump, jump ahead to that. I, I, I felt really sad. Like when I got to that point after they've been having this conversation and kind of circling around some things. And I mean, you almost, I mean, you, you kind of get the sense, like he's not going to go anywhere anyway, cause he's just kind of stuck. But then like when he like kind of just settles for this, like, Oh, I've got to go like read a theological paper and this like book club that I've got. And, right. I mean, I should not be dissing on book clubs, but like, <laughs> <laughs> especially not in this context, but um, but yeah, you get the sense of like, you know, he's being offered, he's an offer being offered the real world and real truth and clear truth and uh, a real chance to encounter God. And he's just like settling for like cotton candy, really. And it, I don't, I feel it's kind of sad. One of the, one of the things he talks about early on is this idea of uh, honest opinions and the, the ghost, he, he would ask, you know, do you really think people are penalized for the honest opinions? And so, and so they talk a lot about, you know, you know, Dick, the bright person he's, he's going on about, here's what is, here's a reality that's like not specifically centered in myself, but this ghost is very preoccupied in, um, well, no, I mean, here's my opinions. Here's what I think. And like, I came by them honestly and I, I'm, I'm being sincere. And why can't you just let me be sincere? And isn't that enough and everything, which, um, I don't know. Uh, what, what did that bring up for you, uh, looking at that? I mean, it, it certainly brings up questions. So the whole, like, the, Dick says that the whole reason why our fat ghost was in hell was that he, he was an apostate, um, that he had walked away from Christ. So in that context, that whole just, like, I've come by my opinions, honestly, uh, for me, it kind of just leaves, like, it, it would leave a lot of questions, like, you know, especially 
you know, is there, as far as salvation is determined, like, is there a like specific point of belief that has, that you have to have? And that if you don't get this particular thing exactly right, are you just doomed to go to hell? Which in this case, Lewis seems to um, have the, have the idea that, you know, even if you do go to hell, it's not like necessarily a forever thing. Like you aren't bound there for all eternity without choice. But Dick also brings up a point like these, these two characters knew each other in life. And Dick brings up the point of like, well, you're not really being honest. You're you and I really started writing things automatically that would give us, you know, better marks in college. And you like this, this fat ghost apparently set may have been some sort of minister and gave some sort of final sermon uh, and it's kind of alluded to is just basically kind of re- uh, renouncing everything. Um, and Dick says, effectively says like that was that that wasn't your honest opinion. That was you seeking attention uh, and seeking not just attention, seeking attention. It kind of has the wrong connotation in our culture today, but um, like seeking glory. Seeking, I could see that seeking, seeking glory. I think there might be another dimension of one just wanting to participate in it, in the way that we participate through ritual. Uh, we participate by adopting similar values and everything. Whether or not he's expecting accolades from it, it sounds like he's very much expecting to just be in tune with his culture, be relevant right. to his cultural right. moment and everything. And and I suppose there's there, there's a danger there because. Like culture is not set or fixed. It will go where it goes and who knows where it will go. The other thing I was thinking with this one too is he's all about being honest and being sincere. And, and, you know, Dick, he he brings up this good point that, you know, we, what does he say? We didn't come to our opinions uh, honestly, or Mm -hmm. our our opinions were not honestly come by, Uh, you know, perhaps to say their opinions were not quite as logical, neutral or scientific as they thought they were, which I think is a really important reality that we ought to consider for ourselves also is that um, I think we we hold out this holy grail of the true neutral or the unbiased or the, uh, you know, the, the evidence based, you know, in the, you know, in the with the, the religion of science, as it is now, we're very much like, well, well, science says, well, science says, well, scientists say, I mean, they say a lot of really true and really valuable things but that they, they they don't ever speak neutrally um you know evidence always bows to bias because you know you show you know three people the same set of evidence you'll get three different opinions or seven different opinions who knows um because we're not neutral creatures and we always bring our our backgrounds and our biases our beliefs think the things we're hoping to find into any study or into any any opinion and so I think what Lewis is exploring here is the, the the fallacy of the true neutral, and if we if we think we're we're just being honest and sincere and scientific, it's maybe a kind of a cop out answer in a sense. Um, I I don't know where I fall on that. Like, it's I guess that that's very true until we don't admit our biases or uh, until we do admit our biases, I should say like, um, like speaking, speaking of science and reading through scientific papers and studies, there Mm -hmm. are good ones 
and there are bad ones. Like there are, there are scientists who take their neutrality and take their data, take the data as it stands very, very seriously. And there are scientists who choose to kind of not necessarily even manipulate it, but make the, make certain assumptions. And so I, yeah, I guess all that to say is like the true neutral it's, I don't know that it really actually exists either. I think, I think the scientific community as a whole, as a large gets probably as close as I've really honestly seen potentially, at least in a lot of major issues. Um, but I also think like it's, it's interesting because we also have this counterpoint, especially cutting coming from the evangelical world of just like, well, it clearly says this. And so, and I think ultimately what it comes down to is two things, a lack of admitting that there is an internal bias and a lack of being willing to question the assumed values. Like not even this, there's, there is a lot of the concept of like, I don't know what I don't know. I'm not necessarily even talking about that, but just, you know, when somebody brings up a question that might conflict with your worldview, a lot of the times, especially in the, in the evangelical world where I grew up in, where we both grew up in really, um, the first nature is to dismiss out of hand. Um, and I think that's a lot of what I kind of see in this character too. And maybe I'm just projecting a little bit, um, but it's all over the place to be sure. I can see that definitely in our church culture growing up. Um, way, I mean, some of that's getting down to like how we, how we handle the, how the tradition handles the scriptures, which right is mm, kind of an extreme <laughs> and a little skewed way of handling the scripture anyway. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll just like dismiss a bunch of stuff or say like, well, the Bible says it, so there must be true. Um, and there's a lot to be gained, uh, to be open to questioning. And yeah, and yeah I think that's where uh, it, one of the huge gifts of, of the scientific method anyway is saying we need to question and ask questions to figure stuff out. Um, but I, I, you make a really good point that um, when bias is owned and acknowledged, then it becomes less caustic or less less damaging where where we where one doesn't know their own bias or doesn't acknowledge it or doesn't uh, own up to like the impacts of it i think that's where it would cause the most damage i mean i mean we talk about that in counseling school where we kind of recognize oh yeah like every counselor has their biases and you can't get away from that but you can be aware of it and be aware of where you're tripping on it and everything we we have we have our opinions and (laughs) they're maybe not quite so infallible as we think and and all that um but the other thing you were talking about too um kind of this extreme of do we do we reject things out of hand or do we ask questions um if they if one extreme is we just like dismiss stuff and we we don't tolerate questions and we don't allow our biases to be examined if that's one extreme i feel like this this particular character ghost kind of fits the other extreme where he's like i'm just gonna always ask questions and ask and ask and ask and never settle on anything and um, and he, he, he puts it in this interesting term of like, he, he doesn't want to stagnate or he doesn't want to limit himself. Um, it, which almost makes sense, except I don't know. I, well, it was making me think a little bit about, again, kind of the, the journey transition from, from being like a modern evangelical to now, uh, find, now being, being Orthodox and, um, 
and there very much is the sense of I'm coming out of this more splintered um, collection of factions and collection of traditions where it kind of like everybody's kind of free to make up their own tradition and opinion. And, and I can see where there's that allure of like, hey, I want to invent myself. And that's kind of fun, except that then there becomes a pressure of like, well, you have to invent yourself, you know, and, and what I my my journey has been to come to this tradition where we say, well, um, no, there, we, we have, we have the thing, we have the fullness and it's been this way for 2000 years. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the, this particular ghost would probably look at someone like me and my, my tradition and say, you're stagnating, stagnation, tarnation. Um, um, but I don't know. I mean, for me though, like, it doesn't feel that way. It feels grounding. It feels like coming home and having a solid reference point. So I don't know. I, I would, with me, this is me shifting in the counselor mode. I'd be curious what sort of like attachment trauma <laughs> this ghost had or something that makes mm-hmm. him like, uh, prefer to be unmoored and everything. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think Dick makes a good point as well as like this ghost uh, was always asking questions, but never honestly seeking answers. Um, and in ways like we see that in culture, it just just in the way that this ghost does, and we also see it in like you know asking questions in bad faith, I guess, like trying to subvert doubt without actually giving giving the fullness of your your point, I suppose. Um. And so I, I, I see a lot of more, more the former here, just like, oh, I'm just going to ask questions to make myself sound very intellectual, but really not actually seeking truth. And I've, I mean, I've done that myself. I've worked with a lot of people, uh, which can cause problems in the professional world that do that sort of a thing, especially it's, it's surprisingly common in the software space, uh, and at some point, these people tend to eventually, sometimes they last for a really long time, but eventually they do tend to be left behind. I can see that. I I observe that where the person asking a question because they really want to learn is a really special, really, really beautiful thing. And there's a lot of other people who ask questions to to challenge, to disrupt, to, to make uncomfortable, to, to lash out. Uh, they ask questions just purely because they're angry at system or something um which again all valid feelings and all there for a reason and and often those are questions that should be asked but but they're it's it's not a really cozy experience to to talk with someone like that because there there's not really like any growth there um or you can kind of see like the other person's not really growing they're catharting or they're expressing or you know maybe advocating in, in a way but um but yeah, you kind of, I don't know. At this point in my life, I, I, I look for the growth, or I, or I hope for the growth or the resolution or that we can actually solve something and not just perpetually be asking. Uh, talking about sincerity, so uh, it reminded me of um, this quote. There's some point where okay, so again, talking about sincere opinions and everything, and I think it's. I think it's Dick, the the bright the, the bright ghost. He's he's talking about how oh yeah, here's a quote he says, you know, just in the same way a jealous man drifting and unresisting reaches a point at which he believes lies about his best friend, or a drunkard reaches a point at which, for the moment, he actually believes that another glass will do him no harm. 
Um, the beliefs are sincere in the sense that they do occur as psychological events in the man's mind. If that's what you mean by sincerity, they are sincere and so are ours. But errors which are sincere in that sense are not innocent. Um, which was reminding me about this quote. Um, I had a pastor once, who an evangelical pastor, who used to say, you know, you, you, you can be sincere, but also sincerely wrong. And anyway, random random pastoral memories from <laughs> from my head. So so one of the other things too, so they get to this point where where Dick is he's been trying to convince his his old friend to soften, to consider the realities of things. Uh, and he's like really concerned because this Episcopal ghost has, you know, rejected the resurrection and he's mm-hmm. you know you know in been in this mode of intellectualizing like everything, which I know for me, like also feels like a, a bit like a, a kind of a, a denial structure. Uh, like you can kind of tell like the, the ghost is just like living in denial of a bunch of things and uh, covering up any sort of pain or uncertainty or weakness with just like, Oh, I can, I can talk fancy and therefore I don't have to face any real challenges or feelings. And um, which is not unique to him. I, I see that in real life uh, also, but then uh, there, there's this point where, I guess this could have been the turning point where you know, Dick is saying, well, we believe in me. We come with me to the mountains. It, it could hurt, but, but you could come. And, uh, and the Episcopos, you know, starts with saying, well, that is a plan and I'm perfectly ready to consider it, but of course it should require some assurances and that, da, 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 da. And all of these fancy things, you know, I want status, I want influence, I want comfort, you know, I want all of these things. And of course, the the response is, you know, well, no, I, I cannot promise you any sphere of usefulness. Basically, you're not needed there, which um, feels like a slap to the ego. <laughs> uh, I think I I kind of resonate with that a little bit where I I like my status and my skills. And I, I like I caught myself at one point um, as I was this is a little bit stronger a couple years ago when I was starting to get to know like a new new church community and i found myself introducing myself and me like like well hi i'm this like fancy credential counselor and i'm the sex addiction therapist and i do this podcast and i do all of these edgy things and look at me how cool i am and then i started getting a sense of like that feels really intimidating what if i could just like be me and what if i could step away from that and and so and kind of like idly exploring that a little bit about like what if i like don't introduce myself with my credentials first thing but just say my name and like, here I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, I get that a lot. Uh, I guess there's a lot to unpack here for me. Like the, the concept of like, you're not needed there. Um, I, I get the ego issue too. And at the same time, like I've been walking through kind of a scenario like that, that I'm just very not used to in my life currently, like the, I've shared on this podcast before the ministry that I kind of volunteer at, I'm not needed there. They're happy to have me there. And, you know, I help out a lot and I don't know, they're, they're to me, they're overly thankful for what little work I seem to be getting done. Um, but I'm not needed there. And that is one of the most freeing things that I've had, like I've worked for years in ministry, not just when I was technically a worship pastor, but even before then where I was needed, I was the one who was holding up a lot of different things. And 
not having that is really wonderful. And it's talking about like, you know, the credentials first sort of thing. Like I've caught myself in that trap too. Like, especially uh, in, in some engineering worlds, like sometimes I'll say, Ooh, I'm a senior engineer. It's at such and such a place. Um, or even, you know, back when I was a worship pastor, I'd kind of bring that up too. Um, usually I was better about catching that one and being like, nah, you don't need to really open with that though. Don't get me wrong. There was a part of me that like, especially with folks back here in the ministries that kind of gave me some trauma here. I was just like, screw you. Look at me now. Sort of a thing. Um, but at the same time, like I have, especially over the last few years, uh, cause I was working under a pastor who was very particular about using titles. Um, I have a huge disdain for titles specifically religious titles. And the reason for that is that in my experience, they by and large don't actually shed light on the truth. They usually occlude the truth, especially with a term like a pastor. Um, and I'm not sure in other spiritual practices as well, the other, you know, titles for lack of a better term, like everybody has, everybody who has been through church, even people who are outside of the church who have never been experienced have some sort of a connotation of what, a pastor is. And it might be good. It might be bad. It might be overly glorifying. It might be, uh, you know, reprehensible, but using that title to me has always, and especially when you are directly addressing someone or like introducing someone, um, has just always, especially over the last few years, not sat well with me. Um, and so I've started, like, I started moving away from that. Uh, as much as I can. Like if somebody is really kind of sticklerish about it, yeah, I will just to keep the peace for the most part. But I don't want to be like, I never, even when I was a worship pastor, like I never wanted to be as dressed as pastor Jake. Cause it always felt weird to me anyway. Um, and I don't like, I mean, I don't have high credentials. I'm a bachelor in my field, right? Like I didn't get my master's degree or PhD. Um, but even like, like the, so I worked up until very recently at a scientific research company where academia is very highly regarded. Most of my colleagues outside of the software engineering folks were uh, doctorates, postdoctorates, and not a single one of them went by their title. Like unless it was a very formal paper or presentation, not a single one of them. And that's, that's the kind of concept that I want to have. Like, uh, so I spent some more time in academia. Cool. I feel that I, I don't, I don't, I, I know I don't want to get caught up in the titles, uh, but it's hard it, not to. It is depend depending on, depending on the world you're in. Like when I, when I've taught, because I, I teach adjunct at a, at a master's program, um, and there it's it's i'm i'm super casual like in the program's like a little bit casual and so it's easy to you know have people start off by saying like oh professor reese or whatever and like just be like yeah just just reese uh but uh but then they step into some other like more actually the thing that always gets me is when clients always want to call me doctor i'm like i'm not a doctor i don't have that degree (laughs) It's, it's unethical for me to be a doctor but anyway um but uh, but then in some other circles, like in my like in my in my CSAT circles, where I'm like with all of the other like highly credentialed counselors, whatever. Like, I mean, 
yeah, there's there's a lot of doctor, there's a lot of doctor level people there, and I, I, you, you kind of do want to like lead off with like, uh, if not, I'm a doctor so and so, but like you know, I have this practice and that podcast and this yada 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 yada. Um, it's very, it's very prestigious place, and so the, the temptation is stronger there. Um, as funny as this is coming up, so I actually, you know, in a very unflattering moment, so I had a I had a fight recently where. At some point, it came to this point where, like, I felt like my competence was being challenged and threatened, and so my very childish response was to go off on the slit and be like, "Well, look at all these things that I've done, and like, I have this practice, and I've got this podcast, and I put myself through school, and I did all these, and I did that, and they were just like going off on this long list of like, here's all these things that I did, like, aren't I cool? And mm-hmm. you know, and like, I don't know, like, and ref- debriefing that moment, like, like, we both kind of agreed, like, that was really gross, it was really disgusting to like show off in that way like without like like without any love or compassion and without any any right. humility and just not in a kind of like a I'm, I'm going to like kind of demonstrate like i i'm credible and i'm capable of like helping you but very much just like uh, i'm throwing my accomplishments in your face it's a very mean thing right. to do you know i think i created a little bit of hell on my heart <laughs> in that moment so anyway to the listener don't do that it's bad <laughs> <laughs> learn from our mistakes yes don't do it um yeah it's it so but with this idea of so here here's this ghost character who's like kind of trying to put conditions on god and saying like well i'll only go into heaven if you can do it on my terms which i mean oh the arrogance um right but it was almost it's interesting actually because looking at the next chapter so um the next chapter is a little well I was going to say it's a little weird, but that doesn't really narrow down in this book. I'm, yeah. <laughs> um, but but it's it's this, there's not even any dialogue, but it's just as the, the narrator observing this one other ghost who is like fleeing something and ends up finding an, a tree with golden apples. And and again, this is in the realm where the, the ghosts are not fully real, so they can't fully interact with the world. Mm-hmm. And the world is like extra harsh to them because it's just more real. And so like grass hurts um, and it hurts to, to walk. Although uh, I guess he also gets to walk on water, I think in the chapter coming up. So that that's going to be kind of fun. But, um, but there's this, there's this ghost that he's watching and he's trying to like collect these golden apples. And at first he realizes, Oh, I can't collect as many as I want. Can I at least take the biggest? No, I can't right. do that. Can I take the smallest? No. Well, can I find one that's like small enough for me to carry? And he finally does, but it's like complete torture for him to like lift and strain and like carry it around. And I don't know if we find out exactly what happened to this, but it almost feels like a very uh, visual representation of like what's going on with this this fat ghost to to begin with, where you know to move forward in the spiritual life, or to move forward, you know, you have to shed a lot, uh, or in in one sense too, I, I think even like not even thinking spiritually, just like as you go through life in general, like you kind of have to like leave some things behind. Like you have to, like you can't keep all of your friends. You can't keep all of your hobbies. You can't keep all of your stuff. You have to at some point like start letting go of stuff and simmering and settling down and focusing on stuff. Otherwise you just spread yourself too thin and get weighed down by a bunch of stuff or yeah, you become like that old person who has, you know, all of these acquaintances and all of these things and all of these experiences, but they're still alone and they realize I haven't actually done anything with my life. Oh, right. I thought that was interesting. 
Yeah, I think so. I was, I, it's, you know, chapter six does feel like a bit of a trans transitionary chapter. Um, and five kind of leading into it basically finds our protagonist running along this river. Uh, cause it's, you know, since he's still a ghost, he's not as real as the, as his surroundings, I think is kind of the, the terms that C.S. Lewis would use. Uh, and so he's running up this river and it gets harder and harder again, kind of, uh, except for the harder and harder, it's, uh, very much that same, same imagery from the last battle. And yeah, that image of this guy trying to, the guy in the bowler hat trying to take something back with him and just getting nowhere with it. Like he gets this apple and then he gets to like a surrounding ring of flowers. I forget what the type of flowers it was. And at that point, like he's holding on to this thing, which may have been like, you know, Im imagine the heaviest object in the, uh, that you can personally carry, but perhaps at the size of the apple, like you're still just hobbling along and he's these flowers to step on them would be, you know, very sharp and very painful. And so we don't really get around to that, but there's this uh, character. I think he's the called the water giant that shout to him, shouts to the gentleman in the bowler hat and says, don't you know, like fool, put that down. You can't take it back. There's not room for it in hell. Stay here and learn to eat such apples. The very leaves and the blades of grass in the wood will delight to teach you. And so it's, you know, it's that some sort of concept of like the good things that are from here can't go with you back to where you were. Um, and so that's, you know, I feel like that's a lot of pointing to the concept of sanctification or growing Christ. Sanctification is very much the evangelical word for it. But, you know, growing to be more and more like Christ, like there are there are wonderful and amazing spiritual benefits that are quite worth it. But, you know, so often I want to have those spiritual benefits and still live the life the way that I want to, you know, giving into the pleasures that I want to or or whatever that may be. And so and for example, um, kind of what I talked about earlier, that that peace of mind that came from not being needed like that hope that I've had in this ministry that I've honestly probably never really had in a ministry before, even though I am doing strikingly little work, I feel very lazy most of the time. Um, I don't think I would able, I would be able to have this, this certain level of peace and hope in those old scenarios where I was still very much trying to work out of my own self instead of just being quiet and waiting on God. And it's still a rather scary place for me right now. You know, I feel like I'm not getting anything done. Like we've not seen souls saved, that sort of thing. Nobody's raised their hands on an altar call sort of thing. Not that we have altar calls uh, at this ministry. And at the same time, like while I'm still fighting those feelings, like I am still very much at peace. And were I to go back, were I, were I to go back to my old way of living, not necessarily like go back to a church, uh, you know, that I grew up in or whatever, or the type of church that I grew up in, but were I to go back to that old way of living, um, I wouldn't have this anymore. I'm so delighted to hear you talk about that. That sounds like a really beautiful, comforting, just like homecoming sort of transition from 
relationships or community based on being needed versus now maybe just being wanted. And um, I have thought about this on and off over the years. Is it, is it better to be wanted or to be needed? And my instinctive sense is I, I think I feel safer sometimes if I feel needed because I can control something. But what I really want is to be wanted. And when I am sure that I'm wanted and I want to be there, like that feels so secure and so good and so peaceful. And yeah, it's it's a shift from like utilitarian relationships where like, it's just like, I need you for something. Let's make this transaction. What do you need from me? Versus I just like you. Uh, I'm not, I don't need anything from you. You don't do anything for me. Uh, I don't, you know, but I just, I, I have she, the sheer delight in being with you and seeing you and sharing with you and just, uh, and everything. And I think when we can come to those moments with ourselves, with people, um, like that, that's like the real homecoming and the, this thing that I hope for. Yeah. I like being needed. It's the easy way to feel secure, you know, cause there's, there's a hole there that I need to fill. And when I fill that hole, I belong, but it's also draining and there's a balance for both. Like, I, I don't think that, you know, we can only go for one and that's okay. Um, but to only, engage in places where we feel needed and not necessarily wanted that's it's a very draining life it's it's imprisoning i feel because as as soon as like that's what my life is based on then i'm only as good as my skills and i'm only good as long as those skills are relevant or needed or safe and effective or anything so uh yeah it's uh, scarier to have a relationship built on being wanted because then I have to trust that the other person wants me and that's terrifying but but uh, oftentimes people can be trusted for that and then certainly the Lord can be trusted for that so right it's this uh it's this leap that we have to make or I don't know I am interested in making that for myself but it's scary yeah it is yeah so speaking of non-scary things, so I, I confess. So so you were, you were sharing this really deep, uh, profound <laughs> moment for you and about this like profound shift for you. And at some point you mentioned altar calls and then my, my crazy mind started thinking like, what would like a Zoom altar call look like? And there's like all of these like little, little yellow hand icons popping up in all of the squares. Yeah. <laughs> actually, actually there, I have some experience in that because oh, of goodness. the whole pandemic, oh. like churches going to live streaming and things like that. Um, there was the, like, I forget, cause we would, I think our church streamed with Facebook and each platform has its own thing, right. On how you interact. And, uh, there was always like the, if you made the decision to follow Jesus today, like ra- hit the little raise hand button or whatever in the chat. <laughs> like and this so post was, if you love Jesus. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I mean, it was like with the live streams, there was there's generally always somebody who's from the staff or whatever, working the text chat. And so there's like a live text chat like you'd see with Twitch or anything else. And so and a lot of it was just also like the painful, especially in the in the evangelical world, we call it shouting, shouting down the pastor, the whole like, amen. Oh, so good. That was so good. Wow. Like, I'm so tired of it. I know that some people mean it genuinely. I really do, but I'm so tired of it. And so like they would try and replicate that in the 
text chat oh, and it just like all of these it, like all caps little blurbs it felt so forced uh i, I feel like if 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 the the early church martyrs you know could still have the capacity to be like you know kind of like vindictive and sarcastic <laughs> like <laughs> uh, i imagine they might have some words for us <laughs> oh you know that paul was mr sassy pants right <laughs> Uh, or St. Ignatius to be like, um, have you seen the lions? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, uh, anyway. Okay. So how would you soundtrack, uh, the great divorce? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was thinking about that when you sent me that message. Um, for whatever reason, the first thing that came to mind was some of the, some of the music from Kubrick's 2001, a space odyssey. Ooh. Um, like and i was i was li- listening to it just as we came back on the call and there's two tracks um and i can't pronounce the uh so 2001 had a lot of scores from several different composers uh and so the two that i was thinking of were by i'm going to butcher this yorgi ligeti g y o with an umlaut r g y yorgi um but uh one was like requiem number two kiri and it's very like discordant choir voices kind of growing to a crescendo and but not really growing all that much and that to me was just like that is gray town to me especially in the way like the weird fears that some of the people had maybe again that's kind of leaning into my more like like i love lovecraft side um but just like very uncomfortable and it had that discordant voice also kind of, you know, that's the argumentative side of things. And it's, it's also a little sparse kind of like Grau Greytown is. And then uh, the next track that I had was Luxaterna, which is just this beautiful choral piece. Um, Eric Whitaker also has some really wonderful, uh, some choral pieces just like that, where it's just, it's, it's heavenly. Um, uh, Luke's Aramque, I think was the one that I was thinking of too, from him. And it's just, you know, this, this kind of growing and beautiful hope sort of a scene. Um, so those are the first things that came to mind. Uh, I've been kind of trying to think more on it too. Right. I don't know. That sounds radiant and really beautiful. Uh, you should send me. You should send me those uh, the yeah. songs because uh, I've never heard of any of those. So I I simply might. oh I wouldn't have known them by name. Like I just knew them by sound. Okay, I had, to, I had to look everything back up. Okay, so that that's my music homework. Um, that's awesome. Uh, I I was thinking, um, one of the first songs that came to mind is actually, um, a song called Mister Blue Sky from. Oh. the electric light orchestra which i heard yes. on uh the movie eternal sunshine of the spotless mind which was a brilliant movie from a long time ago which i should revisit that uh but i was thinking like kind of kind of that feel it was kind of like kind of like overly happily bombastic um but really bizarre which then got me thinking about like well what if the, like, the beatles had done like a soundtrack for this because that could have been that'd be cool kind of kind of fitting you know england and everything but like the other, the other thought I had too was this. It kind of feels like it might be like a like like a, like a John Williams, and I was thinking about like kind of like the the Harry Potter. Well, wait, well, you know, Harry Potter, Star Wars. You know, John Williams. He does like the full orchestral, like lots of trills, um, like 
kind of hard to listen to just on its own, but like if it's this really extreme scenario pretty well, yeah, uh, that, that could be cool. So, yeah. And I was it, trying to think of like modern artists too, and I just couldn't come up with anything like this does feel very like either classic rock to classic. Yes. Very, very classic. Um, I guess who would have been around? Oh, I don't even know who would have been around. 19 um, circa 1930s 30s 40s uh i don't know like frank sinatra you know yeah get some some of that smooth jazz after all. i could yeah i could get that yeah there's like soft like jazz riff has like this bus is like soaring through the clouds and like there's these ghosts everywhere and right everybody's scared <laughs> so yeah that could be fun so there's like completely unrelated to any of that but uh, i was thinking um this couldn't happen because like these bands don't exist in their forms anymore. But like, uh, it, with, with my book that I'm writing, I was thinking if that ever became a movie, like my, my dream soundtrack composers would be like a, a compilation between, uh, Lincoln park as they were like with Chester, um, uh, mm-hmm. memory eternal, uh, and Evanescence. Um, Oh, like, be so if, like if those two like ever did like were, yeah. were, were to have teamed up i think i would have just like loved it and cried oh. and just listened to it over and over anyway that's a remnant from my gothic phase but uh my heart it's my current phase still every now and then yeah yeah that's good that's always good anyway um i think that has taken us through another two chapters of this bus ride from hell to heaven and it's been good. <laughs> so it has. It has. Yes. Thank you again for throwing some ideas out. Thank you, listener, for checking with us. Um, hopefully it is not quite so late at night for you. And hopefully by the time this airs, there are no more live stream services <laughs> anywhere because we don't need them. Oh um, God, I hope so. Oh indeed. Anyway. But thank you. And come back next time for chapters seven and eight and it's gonna be fun i'm excited me too word and journey is a podcast by moses bernabe if you like what you hear consider supporting the show with dollars reviews or shares or all of the above word and journey can be found on most major podcast platforms and on my author patreon at patreon.com slash moses bernabe Moses Bernabe can be found at MosesBernabe.com. Contact info for my most excellent co-hosts can be found in the liner notes. The podcast logo was designed by TJ Todd with additional development by Moses Bernabe. The theme music is by Aaron Esparza. This episode was mastered by Breakfast Puppies. Thanks for listening and see you next time.